I have titled my message today is My Three Fathers. Didn't they have a program one time on TV, My Three Sons? Or Never watched it, but I remember the name. But I thought My Three Fathers is a lot better than My Three Sons. The reason is I didn't have three sons. I had two. But I um, wanted to read this to you. Kind of made my day. My daughter sent this to me last night. So I told her, I said, can I, can I read that at church? She said, okay. Dearest Dad, I thought she wants something. <laughs> With Father's Day approaching, I'd like to take a minute to express my never-ending gratitude for all that you do. Being a father is not an easy task. You are the first man to really show me what love is. Your love for God and family hath made a huge impact in my life. To be honest, I can't remember a time when you weren't there for me. And you did those things because you loved me. You're also the one that led me to Christ. You were the one that showed me the love that God has for me and to trust the Lord always. You're the one that showed me the importance of witnessing and winning souls. Speaking from my own experience, I am sorry for every gray hair I caused you in the past, the present, and then she put, in the future. Is that a warning? <laughs> Means it ain't over yet. Now I understand he just wanted the best for me. So my daughter, Trina. And I love my daughter, Trina. I know if you got kids, you love your kids. But anyway, I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 4. 1 Corinthians and chapter 4. And it was interesting this week when I went to see the, you know, the doctor and all, they always asked him, when were you born? When were you born? Oh, I've always been born. Now, they wouldn't believe that, would they? You ask some people, well, when did you become a Christian? Oh, I've always been a Christian. No. You had to be born. There had to be a day you were born. Just like we automatically assume you have a birthday. Now, you may not remember the day you were born, because you were just a baby. But somebody wrote it down. Somebody remembers, hey, you were born. And you were born in a certain place. It happened in a certain You did. Oh, I was just born all over the place. No, it was a certain place, a certain time. And um, I'm thankful for my, my heritage. You know, some people, they get to where they, they don't like what they came from. I... Um, I'm thankful because I've been able to use my personal testimony for so many years, but use it in a great way. When the Bible says, honor thy father and thy mother, unless they're heathen. No, it doesn't say that. Honor thy father and thy mother. I've always wanted to honor my mom and honor my father, even though my father isn't here. But I pray that my dad is, is in heaven. You see, a man by the name of Jack Fields was a barber. And one day I went to get a haircut at uh, Jack Fields' barbershop. And I'm sitting there, and he says, you're, um, you're that Yankee fellow, aren't you? I said, yeah. He said, I knew your dad. I said, you did? Yeah, his name was Shine. I said, yeah, I know. He says, uh, I did his funeral. 
I didn't know that. I had never met the man that did my dad's funeral. He says, um, that was quite a funeral. He says, I talked to your dad before he died. He was 47, dying of cancer. I was 13 years old. I was up in Pennsylvania. I never got down for the funeral. And uh, he says, I, I gave him the gospel. And he says, I, I believe he trusts the Lord. So I'm listening to him, and I'm thinking, that's, that's great. I, I just hope it's all true. He says, you won't believe how many people came to his funeral. He says, the sheriff and all the deputies were there. <laughs> he says, IRS agents were there. Federal agents were there. State patrol were there. He says, and a lot of other people came. I don't know if some of them just wanted to verify, yep, he's dead. <laughs> or if they really honored and respected my dad. Now, my dad was a very likable guy when he was sober. But he wasn't sober much. He was 31 years old when he married my mom. She was 14. She wanted to get out of the house, get on her own, have some freedom. She had six kids by the time she was 23. I don't know if she ever did get her freedom. I was the third child, and she was 17 when I was born. But my daddy, he liked the church hymns. I remember hearing my dad sing church hymns. And I remember my dad singing country songs. I didn't know they were country songs. And I didn't know that all the ones were church hymns. They were just songs that my daddy sung. I found out a lot later. Now, I never saw my dad in a church or my mother. I never saw them read a scripture or have a Bible in their home. Never heard them have prayer. Never heard the words, I love you. But my daddy would go to this little Methodist church. They call it Bethesda. But it was way out in the country, little white church on a dirt road. And he would get drunk, but he'd come by the church, and they'd want him to come in and sing. So my daddy had a, a good singing voice. At least that's what they told me, and a lot of people have. So he'd get in there, and he would sing, and they'd want him to get up in the choir with them. Now, my dad would be drinking, but the more he drank, the more sociable he got. And the more he could let her rip, and he loved to sing. But I don't remember ever being taught Christian principles from my dad. For you that don't know, he was a bootlegger. You say, what's that mean? He, he made, he sold corn in jugs and spent time in the chain gang. It's all true. But he even wrote a song one day called, She Was Only a Bootlegger's Daughter, But I Loved Her Still. But one of the songs that he used to sing, and I remember him singing was, uh, oh, I forgot the song now. <laughs> but I'll never forget it. <laughs> it was Irene. Good night, Irene. Anybody here ever heard that song? Good night, Irene, something like that. And, uh, but he'd sing that song, and he'd sing a few other ones, you know. And I remember him singing but um, I've often wanted to, you know, write a few songs. I've written quite a few. And I um, thought you'd like to hear some of the titles of some of the songs that I wrote. These are country songs that reach into your heart and make you, you know, real sentimental. 
you know, kind of gets you tugging right there. How can I miss you when you won't go away? You know, if the phone doesn't ring, then you'll know it's me. Another good title is, If You Won't Leave Me Alone, I'll Find Someone Who Will. You know, these kind of songs kind of grips you, you know, that has absolutely at times, you think, no meaning whatsoever. I'm so miserable without you, it's almost like having you here. I'm sorry I made you cry, but your face is cleaner now. (laughs) The oil is all in Texas, but the dipsticks are in D.C. (laughs) But I'm thankful for my heritage. I'm thankful for my mom. Even though she didn't know the Lord back then, and neither did my dad. But that was my mom, and that was my dad. Sometimes as a, a child, you, you want your parents to be proud of you. But my dad was never there. My mama left him when I was seven years old and moved to Pennsylvania. We left him in Georgia. And I only saw him a couple times after that. But a lot of times, you know, when you're living your life and doing things, you always want to wish your mother or your dad was there to give a good compliment or say something nice about you. You don't mind getting it from everybody else, but Especially you want family to stick together. Family to love each other. It just means so much. It really does. If you will, look there in 1 Corinthians in chapter 4. And look in verse 15. Where it says, um, For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. In other words, what he's saying is, uh, I led some of you to the Lord through the gospel. You're like my children in the faith, my sons in the faith. Now, over the years, I've had a lot of people that I've led to the Lord. And I've had some of those people that are very thankful that I I gave the gospel. And they trusted Christ as their Savior. Well, Mr. Jackson was my father-in-law. After we had, me and Betty had run away and got married... He was waiting for us when we got back to Athens. And he had a gun in the car, but he had mercy and thought instead of parking my soul in eternity, he would get me ready for eternity. So he led me to the Lord. And I'll never forget the day, though there was many days, many months, and several years that we stayed together, I remember this night. Because that's the night I trust the Lord. And he shared with me how that God loved me and that Christ died on that cross and paid for my sins. And that if I would trust him, he would give me as a free gift everlasting life. And that was in 1960. So I've got me a spiritual dad and I've got me a real dad and I've had two stepfathers and I've, well, I guess I could say uh, the devil, the Bible says uh, your father the devil And I guess I had an old sinful nature like the devil. I guess I wasn't doing too good. And then I trusted Christ as my Savior, and that changed everything. It just changed everything. So 
you're here and it's Father's Day and maybe your daddy isn't all that you wanted him to be, but he's your dad and you still ought to love him and show appreciation and honor him because God says to do it. But not just because God says to do it. I think you should honor him because that's your dad and that's your mom. Honor your father and your mother and seek to live in such a way that they may not even approve of the way you live, but it honors them because you did right, and they should be thankful for that. Not all parents are as appreciative as they ought to be of their children. I love my kids to death. I love my grandkids. Are they perfect? No, they're just like me. They're not. But I love them. And so you try to challenge them to trust Christ as Savior and to serve the Lord. Now, the greatest father of all, and you know who that is, because I can't find any fault in him. He had never done anything wrong. And he also, he loved me. And he wanted me in his family. And so, he's the one I want to talk to you about a little bit. So, take your Bible and turn with me to the book of John chapter 3. Now, this is a, a simple message. Very simple message. Not hard, complicated. It's not heavy on you. This is a, a light meal. We're going to eat something else later. But this is just like a, you know, a little appetizer. And yet at the same time, it's so deep, most preachers can't follow it. You'd be surprised what most people say about these simple little things we're going to look at. In John chapter 3, and look in verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. Now, going to church doesn't make you born again. Giving money is not how you get to be born again. Dedicating your life to the Lord is not how you get to be born again. So there's no amount of good works you can ever do that can help you to be born again. But if Jesus says you must be born again, you must be. Wouldn't you assume that? You must be. And if you're not... You can't see the kingdom of God. And then in verse 5, he says, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You can't see it and you can't enter. It's a world you'll never be a part of unless you're born again. Now, the Bible tells us in a very simple way what that means. Look there in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever... Believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You will get everlasting life. It means you are going to be born again. You're going to not only see the kingdom of God, you're going to enter into the kingdom of God because you have believed on Jesus Christ. And that was the only requirement that was given. And you that believe it shall not perish. It means that it's impossible for you to go to hell. I got a letter this week kind of a heartbreaker, of a man who stated two or three times in his letter, 
I just wonder about those people that are Christians that are going to go to hell. A Christian, one who has trusted Christ as Savior, cannot go to hell. None of God's children can go to hell. I am one of God's children. I cannot go to hell. Until I trusted Christ as my Savior, those years that I was lost, I could have died and gone to hell. Boy, am I thankful for the mercy of God that I did not die. And yet I had so many close calls. I'm alive by the grace of God. And I'm so thankful for that one man who came into my life, my father-in-law, who shared with me the best thing he could have ever shared with me. Because he knew that the only hope for his daughter was to get Yankee right with the Lord. And so he did. He led me to Christ. He had plans. He, he didn't set his traps. He was going fishing. I didn't know anything about it. He outsmarted me. He knew exactly what bait to use, what to say, and how he put it all together was awesome. I relived that in my mind many, many times. But I want you to take your Bible and look in John chapter 1 and verse 11. John chapter 1 and verse 11. You'll notice that God kind of gives us an idea what he's going to talk about, how it's going to be accomplished, what you must do. But he's telling us even in the beginning chapter, you must be born again. See there in verse 11, he came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, receiving Christ, believing on Christ, trusting Christ, it's all the same thing. It all means the same thing. Just a different word. So when you receive Christ as your Savior, when you trust Him as your Savior, when you believe on Him, it's all the same thing. When He says here, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power, or the authority, to become, look at that, the sons of God. Evidently, you were not His Son before. You'll hear people talk about the brotherhood of man and the fatherhood of God. You know, God's the father of all of us. No, he's not. He's God. He's creator. But he's not my father until I'm born into his family. He's not my father until he fathered me. And so the Bible says that God has sent forth the word, which is in person, Christ, and the word, these are seeds. And these seeds are planted into the minds of man. And when you believe on this, you're born by the seed of the word of God itself. It germinates, causes a birth. You're born into God's family. When you believe what he said about his son. So he says here in verse 12, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, the children of God. Get this, even to them that believe on his name. To receive him, to believe on him, is how you become a child of God. As you go through the scriptures, especially in John, you'll find the word believe over and over and over again. To receive him is to believe on him. When we say believe on Christ, 
We're saying, would you receive him as your Savior? Will you trust him? Because believing on Christ is how you're born into God's family. If you do not believe on Christ or trust Christ as your Savior, there can be no birth. If you're trusting in your works, there can be no birth. If you're trusting in the church, there can be no birth. If you're trusting in anything you can do, there can be no birth. The birth takes place only by you accepting Jesus Christ and Him alone as your only hope of going to heaven. Nothing else will work. You can't help Him. You can't add to it. Now, get what he says in verse 13. Which were born not of blood. In other words, my family, my children, as precious as they are, are not saved because I'm saved. My wife doesn't get to go to heaven because I trusted the Lord. Now, Betty's mother one day was listening to the radio. She heard about Jesse Henley and the tent revival he was having there in Athens, Georgia. So she decided to go down there, and lo and behold, she trusted the Lord. She got saved. But she heard the verse, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thine house. So she came back and told everybody they were saved. She got saved for them. And thy house, if they believe. Everyone is an individual thing. You are not going to heaven because Aunt Susie trusted the Lord. Or your grandpa used to be a preacher. I've asked people, said, where are you going to die? Oh, my grandfather was a preacher. Well, what's that got to do with anything? Or my dad, he, he serves in the church. He's a deacon. Oh, that's wonderful. That's great. But that's not the answer. So he makes a statement here in verse 13, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. You can't make it happen. It's not because of your desire, all the will that you have, all that you can muster up, your determination, your commitment to live a good life, to turn from sin and make Christ the Lord in a mess. It's not possible. It's not that way. But notice the last three words. Which were born how? Of God. God can do it. Man cannot. You're not a Christian because your parents were Christians. You're not going to heaven because somebody you know and love are going to heaven. You, individually, you must be born again. And you're not born again just because you heard that you had to be born again. Just because you know how you're supposed to go to heaven doesn't mean you're going to heaven if you don't do what that knowledge tells you to do, if you don't trust Him. I believe there's a lot of churches with a lot of people who have heard it over and over and over again and still refuse to trust Christ as their only hope. Well, I'm going to be good just in case. You're annulling it. The works of the flesh cannot save a man. Therefore, no man is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ alone. It's only that way. Take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter and chapter 1. Many of these things, no doubt, are very repetitious to you. But understand, there's a lot of times some people 
have never heard what you have heard all your life. And you may go to church, and you hear it, and maybe you take it for granted. Well, everybody's heard that. And sometimes they've never heard the most simplest of things. I was 18 years old and never heard John 3.16. Here in 1 Peter chapter 1, notice what it says in verse 23. Being born again. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God. So that means you're being born into God's family because you believed what the Word of God said. And whatever the Word of God is, you can become. If I take a seed of a watermelon and I plant it, what can come from that seed? A watermelon. And if I plant some cotton, I can get cotton. Whatever seed I plant, I can get that from that seed. This is incorruptible seed, and we preach the Word of God, and we sow the seeds, and your mind is the ground upon which the seed falls. And some of it, the birds come and gets the seed before you get a chance to think about it. That's why while the preacher is preaching, sometimes there's a sermon I was preaching years ago called The Sin of the Blackbirds. That while you're sitting in church, your mind begins to drift and the seed is sown, but a little blackbird, another thought came in and stole that seed away. And it profits you nothing. There's people who go to church all their life and they sit and daydream, think about other things instead of what's actually being said. And the word profits them zero and then they get up and leave and say, you know, I'm just not getting anything out of the sermon. I'm tired of all this milk. I want some meat. You ever hear people say things like that? The preacher hears it all the time. The Bible says, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So that's what is a description of the word of God. It's incorruptible. It liveth and it abides forever. That means when you trust Christ as your Savior, you become a child of God, born into God's family. And because you're born into God's family, you will abide forever. There is no end to you being a child of God. So once you're born into God's family, you are always God's child. He will always be your father. None of God's children have anything to worry about going to hell. It's impossible. If there's a heaven, if there's a hell, God's the one that says how to go to heaven, how to avoid hell. He said, if I trust Christ as my Savior, He gives me eternal life, and you shall never perish. Never in the future, never perish. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ. You cannot be condemned in the future. Because there has to be sins laid against your charge that would keep you from going to heaven, and that's impossible. All my sins were laid upon Christ, and therefore I have the free gift of everlasting life. Here in 1 Peter chapter 2, look what it says in verse 1. 
Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking, get this, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You're a babe in Christ, but it is your father's desire that you desire the milk of the word so that you may grow. But you may not grow because you do not desire the milk of the word, but you're still a babe in Christ. You are his child, once born, always born. Once a child, always a child. Once forgiven, always forgiven. You have eternal life, it's always eternal life. He doesn't give you temporary life. I don't have probation, I have salvation. If you are not eternally secure, you are not secure. That's why this is so important. Can something simple like this affect your whole life? If you don't really understand this important lesson, you can question your salvation, doubt your salvation, because, well, you look at the way you live sometimes, and you look at the things that happens to you. Well, God must not love me. God must have forgotten me. God, no, 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 no. You're not strong in the Lord. That's the problem. Once you're saved, you're his child forever. He is your father. And he'll say, he said, I'll never cast you out. He'll never lose you. And no man can pluck you out of my hand. Most people think that being a child of God, going to heaven, is somebody who commits themselves, I'm going to accept Christ. See, I got him. I accepted him. And I'm going to live for him. And I'm going to stop doing certain bad things. But then if they do something wrong, now they're slipping away. Oh, no. Now they're lost. Got to get saved again. Got to run down to the front of the church. Make a new commitment. Mean business this time. Now, I'm right again. Then if they do something wrong, there they go again. Now I'm going to hell again. So you ask them, where are you going when you die? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best. I'm, I'm hanging in there. Well, you're not supposed to be hanging in there. You see, salvation is me trusting him, him saving me. Do you see any difference? See, my going to heaven doesn't depend upon me. It depends upon him keeping his word. He is going to save me. He said he will not cast me out. He said he will not lose me. He said nobody can pluck you out of his hand. He's taking me to heaven, not me taking me to heaven. I'm not helping him. I didn't save myself, and I don't have the power to keep myself saved. I was saved by the grace of God, and I'm kept saved by the power of God. This is true for every child of God. So understand that and believe it. It kind of irritates your father when you question what he says. And as a child of God, you can deny afterwards anything God says. I think some people are going to be very surprised to find out when they die they actually made it to heaven because they had trusted Christ as their Savior sometime in their life. And then later on, because of false teaching, can deny the very Lord that bought them. Such a shame. Take your Bible now and turn to the book of 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And notice something about your father. Your heavenly father 
has fathered you. You have been born from above. If you were just born again into this world like you have been the first time, you'd be no better off. You could be born into this world a thousand times without any improvement. Because each time you were born with a sinful nature. No improvements. Still the same problems. But the born from above means be born without a sinful nature. That's your second birth. My first birth, God never did anything with but now he wants us to have this joy with him. See there in verse 3, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you, your joy may be full. Your heavenly Father, who has allowed you to be born into his family, wants you to have joy, full joy. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to learn how to walk with Him, talk with Him. It's the best father and son relationship you can ever have. You see, you can't find any fault with God. Now, you may have fault with your mom, and you can find fault with your dad, and never want to talk to them again, and you can do all of that. But your heavenly Father has never wronged you. There's no reason why you should not honor Him, and want to walk with Him, and serve Him. So he says these things in this book. Now I want you to look in chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And look in verse 1. My little children, my little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not, and if any man sin, I'm going to cast you out and send you to hell. No, it didn't say that. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he reminds us, He's the propitiation for our sins. He paid for our sins. Well, he doesn't want his children to sin, but if you do sin, it's still paid. That's what he said. It's still paid. It can't cost you your salvation. But because you are his child, he wants his children to love him. And he says, in the rest of this, this is what I want you to do. So look in verse 3. Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Oh! Oh, that's scary. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandment, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, let's just take one word and give you its meaning. And then you'll see it so clear. See there in verse 3? And hereby we do know that we love him, if we keep his commandment. He that saith, I love him, and keepeth not his commandment, is lying. You see, book of 1 John is talking about, Love not the world, nor the things that are in the world, for the love of the Father is not in him. So the one thing that God wants is, I want you to love me. Now, we don't love God to go to heaven. We're going to heaven because he loved us. But he makes a statement there in chapter 4. Look in chapter 4 very quickly. And look what he says here in verse 19. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. So now we should, as a child of God, we should love him. He said, if you love me, love one another. The commandment he's talking about here goes back to the gospel of John. Not talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about a new commandment I gave you. Love one another because I loved you. And so he said, if you love me, he says, serve me. And if any man serve him, him will my father honor. So God wants this for us. Now take your Bible and turn to the book of Galatians in chapter 3 very quickly. 
Galatians and chapter 3. And remember that once you trust Christ as your Savior, and other people trust Christ as their Savior, you're all in the same family. Look what he says here in this verse. In Galatians in chapter 3, look in verse 26. For ye are all the children of God. Now, if I stop right there, I didn't tell the truth about this verse. So let's just finish the verse. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you became a child of God. So you weren't always a child of God. You don't become gradually by disciplining your life and starting to live like a Christian. Oh, I, I must be a Christian because I live like a Christian. No. Being a child of God, there is a point in time, a birth that must take place. Well, when was I born? February the 4th, 1942. But what if I don't have that? I, I, well, I've just always been here. You know that's not true. God said, you have to have this birth. Now, you may not remember the day, but you ought to know, I have been born again. I have been born into God's family because you don't go to heaven. God does not become your father unless you're born again into his family. You must trust Christ as your Savior. Now, look what he says in chapter 4. Chapter 4, look in verse 6. And because ye are sons, because you are, not going to be, you are. God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father, like He's my daddy. I have a new daddy. God is my new father. He's not just a God. He's my father. He's more real to me than the clothes I have on my back. He's more real to me than my wife. He's more real to me than my children. And I've been married almost 55, well, we have been married 55 years. But the Lord is more real to me. There isn't anything in the world greater than knowing God. One of these days, husbands are going to die. Wives are going to die. Kids are going to die. Our grandkids are going to die. The greatest thing you could ever know in this life is, do you know the Lord? Yeah, he's my daddy. He is my daddy. And I am an heir of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, take your Bible and turn over there to the book of 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. I want you to look there in verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Did you know that being a child of God is more important, a greater, higher standing than being the president of a bank, the greatest lawyer in the world, the president of the United States, or anybody in any government office? Do you realize there is nothing greater than being a child of God? The God that created the heavens and the earth came into this world to make me his son, to make me his child. There's nothing greater than being a child of God. You should never have a bad self-image, 
of the old nature, yeah, don't trust that at all. You look into that mirror and say, you old dirty bird. You're just dirt. But me, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the king. If you're a child of the king, learn to use the language of the court. Talk. Learn his word. Won't it be a shame if you got to heaven and find out that God says, I wrote you my love letter. Did you read my love letter? Do you know that letter that my daughter wrote? I've already read it about ten times because it's from my daughter. And she said everything like I wanted her to. It's precious to me. You have a heavenly father and he wrote you a love letter. Do you have any time to read it? Do you ever get a text message and don't respond? But you're a child of God, and God has given us his wonderful love letter. And notice what he says here, that we should be called the sons of God. And he says in verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. I'm not going to be a child of God. I am a child of God. If I am a child of God, none of God's children can go to hell. None of God's children can lose their salvation. I am not going to be, if I wasn't a child of God yet, maybe all that would be true. But I am one. And he's made promises about his children that can never be taken away. You know that ought to brighten up everybody's step. I don't care what you're going through. Everything in this life is just going from one problem to the next problem to the next problem. True? And with every little bit of joy that you have and some good news, there's always somebody to spit on it. And every person who says and pats you on the back, there's another one trying to find a place to put the knife. But he makes a statement in verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And a friend of mine named Dr. Curtis Hudson says, Lord, if someday I'm going to be like you, why not now? So he can do the most good. Don't you believe that if you're a child of God, you ought to act like a child of God? That you ought to live like one? Think like one? You're different. You're his child. You ought to live and act like a child of God ought to. This is why he has this one verse here that I want to show you. Look in verse 28. See there in verse 28 of chapter 2? Now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence, not be ashamed before him at his coming. He promises, he said, I'm coming back. I don't want you to be ashamed. Ashamed you did not live as a child of God ought to live. Nobody can make you discipline your life. Nobody can make you go to church. Nobody can make you give like you ought. Nobody can make you witness. Nobody can make you study the Word. Nobody can make you pray. They can't make you do it. Why? Because God sets you free. He wants you to do it because you love Him. And if that doesn't work, it doesn't matter. If you're not going to serve God because you love Him, it probably won't make much difference because He says, you're not going to get rewarded if it's not done out of love. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Serve the Lord with all your heart. We love Him because He first loved us. Does He love you? He loved you enough that He paid for your sins. 
made you his child. Now you're going to heaven. You can never lose it. It's for eternity. But we're not there yet. And God, out of all eternity, gives us just a few short years to live for him. Time. How you live your life is wrapped up in this little thing called time. And if you waste time, you waste life. And a lot of people are wasting their life because they're not using their time to serve God. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us. Now, he hates our sin, but he loves us. He loves you. And so because we have all sinned, that means we're all condemned. And we're all in the same boat. Everybody in the world. Nobody's going to heaven because they live better than you. Nobody's going to hell because they live worse than you. You see, the Bible says we have all sinned and we're all condemned. The whole world guilty. And to go to heaven, we have to get rid of the sin. And none of us are perfect. We cannot save ourselves. We need to be born again. Born without a sinful nature where we don't produce this. So the Bible says Jesus Christ, who was God's son, came into the world because he loves us. Hates our sin because our sin separates us from him. So Christ took the sin of all the world, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead. And he says, whosoever believeth, receives it, accepts it, are born of God. You get to go to heaven because of what Christ did on the cross for you. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. You don't buy it. It's the gift of God. And yet to be born into God's family is something that can happen to anybody that hears the gospel and believes it. That's why it's so simple to be saved. Otherwise, some children couldn't understand it. But children can understand a free gift. It's older folks that have a harder problem believing that it can't be free. It just can't be that way. That's too easy. It's got to be more complicated. I've got to do something. And God says, not one work. By grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We all get to heaven because we all trust Christ as our Savior, or you don't get there at all. There is no other way. There's no option B. I pray that you have accepted Christ as your Savior and that you have been born from above. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, I pray that each one of you here have trusted Christ as Savior, but just in case, just in case, you may be here and you say, Preacher, I've never heard that before. I've never really understood, but I want to go to heaven when I die. And I realize that I can't recall any time that I've ever really trusted the Lord as my Savior. I've heard about it, but I just never did. So, friend, why not right now in the quietness of this moment, just talk to the Lord. He knows your thoughts. You can't make a mistake this way. Only the true and living God knows who you are, what you've done, what you're going to do. And He's the one that loves you. I'm just trying to get you to trust the Lord, not me, not this church. But with heads bowed and eyes closed, you say, Preacher, that made sense to me, and I'm going to trust Christ as my Savior this morning, right now. And, friend, if you'll make that decision... I'd like to know, and I'd like to have prayer for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to have you stand up or come forward. But I'm going to ask you, if you'll just slip your hand up very quickly, put it right back down, 
And by that, that means, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. Now I'd like for you to pray for me. Is there anyone at all? Just slip it up very quickly. Put it right back down. God bless you, buddy. You can put it down. Anyone else? Say, yes, that made sense to me. I want to know that I'm going to heaven, and I will accept Christ this morning as my Savior. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yes, God bless you. Anyone else? Wait just a moment. It'd be a shame to walk out of this room and never trust Christ as your Savior, to realize the awful consequences of not believing on Christ. Our Father, we do thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for these that indicated by an uplifted hand that they would accept Jesus Christ as their Savior this morning. By doing so, they become your children, born into your family with the gift of eternal life. And Lord, we just ask your blessings upon each one of them, that they get a Bible and read and study it and talk to you because of prayer. And Father, they get into a good Bible-believing and teaching church. We thank you for this church and all these good people and ask your blessings upon each one. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.